You know, there's something very powerful about concern and care and showing interest in the lives of somebody else, showing affection and and even make an investment in their lives. Something powerful about that. That's what Jesus Christ did with the twelve apostles. He made an investment in their lives. And what a thrill it is when we invest in somebody's life and then we see them grounded and and go forward for God and make a a difference in the kingdom of God and the populating of heaven. It can make such a difference. But it won't happen again until we reach out and touch someone. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, and the ninth chapter, Acts chapter 9. And we've been in a little series, and we'll be on pausing to ponder. We know what it means to pause, and we know what it means to ponder, to stop and reflect and think. And we're at kind of a, a, a time in our church's history, a juncture, I've called it, where we need to kind of look ahead as we look backwards somewhat, maybe changes that might need to be made, uh, things that might, might need to be implemented as we, we look ahead to the next quarter century, Lord willing, if, if he should tarry, and, and ways that we can be more effective, more effective. I think uh, of all the jingles that uh, I remember, there's one that sticks out in my mind, and I, I believe it involved a phone company, and I'm sure you remember it as well. Their little jingle was, reach out and touch someone. Remember that? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today, how we can, as a church, spiritually speaking, reach out and touch someone. And we see somebody doing exactly that here in Acts chapter 9, we pick it up In verse number 26, it says, And when Saul, now that's Paul, but the early Paul, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed or tried to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and declared unto them how he, that is Saul, had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, that is, the Lord had spoken to Saul, and how he, Saul, had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus, and he was with them, coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, and they went about to slay him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth, to Tarsus. They got him out of town. He was a hot potato. And then had the church's rest, the Bible tells us. Now, it was Barnabas that, first of all, initiated the concern and the, the reaching out and touching of the life of Saul of Tarsus so that he became the great Apostle Paul, the writer of half the books of the New Testament, and somebody who's probably at the front of the line in heaven as I speak to receive rewards. But it was Barnabas who made that investment in his life. And I want to talk today about us investing in the lives of others and reaching out and touching those lives. Let's pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you, dear Lord, to bless this time and your word. We pray now for you to help us to listen carefully, but do more than just listen faithfully. Help us to apply that which we hear. Help us to leave this place and put it to practice, or yea, put it to practice within these four walls. 
We pray now and ask for your help, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's something very powerful about concern and care and showing interest in the lives of somebody else, showing affection and and even make an investment in their lives. Something powerful about that. That's what Jesus Christ did with the 12 apostles. He made an investment in their lives. We read in Mark chapter 3 and verse 14 that He ordained 12. Notice that they should be with Him. He made an investment of three years, day and night. Imagine doing that, saying, all right, I'm going to pour myself into you, fellas. I'm going to make an investment in you. And He did. He was with them, the Bible says. He chose to concern Himself with their lives. He chose to take an interest in their lives. He chose to care about them. He, he chose to be affectionate and, and, and make an investment in them. You know, the cry of the human heart really is just that. Would somebody care about me? Because we live in a world, a callous world at that, cold world, that really doesn't care much. And this world is crying out for relationships. Now, there's a risk involved whenever we get involved in the life of somebody else. You can get burned. They can dump on you. If you've gotten close to anyone and they've done that to you, you know what I'm talking about. I remember in the early days of this church that uh, there was more than one instant where somebody, you know, close to me stabbed me in the back or burned me or things along those lines. It was enough to make me think, okay, this isn't the way to do it. Maybe, maybe you know, familiarity breeds contempt and maybe I should just kind of pull away and, 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 and be untouchable and stay at arm's length and that sort of thing. And so I did. And I did that for a while and it didn't have peace about it. But I'll never forget being at a preacher's meeting and seeing another pastor and how he related to his people. And, and he had been at it a lot longer than I had at that time. And there was such a, a bond there and a love there that, that it convicted me. It smote me in the heart. And I, I said, you know, that's not the answer either. Because Jesus got burned, but he never quit reaching out, did he? He never stopped investing in the lives of other people. In fact, in Matthew 11, this is what his enemies said of him. Behold, a friend of publicans and sinners. He was a friend of publicans, tax collectors, and sinners. He never stopped reaching out. I'm sure he got burned. We know he did. He never stopped risking it. And they called him a friend of publicans and sinners. Let's just take the publicans and sinners off it. Behold a friend. That's how we can think of Christ. Somebody who reached out and took an interest in the lives of others. Well, here in Acts chapter 9... The Bible tells us the story of Saul in his early days. Verse 26 says, When he was come to Jerusalem, he essayed or tried to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. In other words, they thought he was a plant. This is the same guy who was going around and killing Christians. I mean, dragging them in, hailing in men and women, dragging them into a a Jewish court of law and having them condemned and put to death or in prison. And and all of a sudden, he quit doing that now and he's claiming to be one of them. And and the disciples are thinking, yeah, right. You're just trying to get on, on the inside and infiltrate and find out who we are and get some names and then really put the hammer down. So they didn't believe him. But he was the real deal. He had gotten saved. But he was, like I said a moment ago, a hot potato. Nobody wanted to touch him. Notice verse 27, however. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how Saul, he had seen the Lord in the way and that he, Christ, had spoken to Saul and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jerusalem. And from that point on, he was okay. Verse 28 says he was with them 
coming and going out at Jerusalem. But it was Barnabas who reached out to Saul. And, and what an investment he made. You know, we're going to get rewarded according to not only what we do, but the investment we make in others and what they go on to do. So imagine, as I speak, the reward that Barnabas is going to have throughout all eternity for being the icebreaker with Saul and bringing him into the fold and getting him grounded and putting a foundation under him. And then Saul was off and running, and look what he did. But it was Barnabas who reached out and touched him. Now, as we talk about that today, I want to first of all talk about the universal craving that people have to have somebody care about them. There is a universal, it's worldwide, a craving for some type of affection or care. You know, when we're alone, we're weak. When we're isolated, we're vulnerable. But in numbers, there is strength, is there not? In numbers, there is a boldness. There is a, a passion for what we're doing. We, we are really wired to live in a, in a community of some type, be it a family or church or whatever it might be. And when it's a church, it helps us to fulfill the purpose that God has given to us. Without the teamwork we've had around here, without the partnership we've had around here, without that, that church relationship that we've had, we would never have been able to accomplish what we've accomplished in the past quarter of a century. Look, if you would, in Psalm 142. My point is this. We are built for intimacy. We are built for relationships. Many years ago, there was a Russian writer by the name of Tolstoy. You may have heard of him. Authored many books and really a respected Russian in his time and even to this day. But he got a little weird later on in his life and, and he decided to just chuck all that and and go live with the peasants, and live like a peasant, and he forsook so much, and he was just kind of living amongst the common folks and had nothing. And one day he was walking through a little village, and somebody came up to him and, 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 and said, could you spare uh, whatever it was, a ruble or whatever the Russians use? And uh, Tolstoy reached in his pocket, and then the other pocket, and, and he said, brother, I'm sorry, I don't have a, a thing on me. And the man looked at him with amazement at his eyes, and he said, sir, he said, You've given me something much more precious than money. Tolstoy looked at him and he said, what? And he said, you called me brother. You called me brother. You know, just that, that term, that enduring term of affection. Somebody said, and I'm not sure who it was, but they said the biggest disease of today is not leprosy or tuberculosis, but it's the feeling of being unwanted. How true that is. The greatest disease, you know, we talk about diseases of the past, and, and you know, there, was, there was leprosy and there was tuberculosis and so on, but that's not the great disease of today. It's the feeling of being unwanted. Now, notice the psalmist here in Psalm 142 felt that way. In verse number 1, he says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before Him. I showed before Him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I have walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Boy, what a sad lament that is, really. I looked on my right hand, he said, but no man cared. He said, no man was my refuge for me. No man cared for my soul. I said, we're built for intimacy. We really are, not for isolationism. You know, you can be in a crowd and still be lonely. 
Have you ever been in an airport as I have and you, you're in between flights? You might have a two, three, four hour layover and you're just sitting there and, and you're just watching people go by. And there's just thousands of people around, but you're by yourself. I mean, you can be in a crowd and, and you're still lonely. You can be in a crowded mall and uh, surrounded by people, hundreds of people, and still feel alone. You can be on a crowded street and still feel that way. But the last place we want anyone to feel alone is in a crowded church, right? God help us. That shouldn't happen. We live in an, an impersonal world. Bad enough. And because of the fact that people have demands on them, after demand, after demand, after demand, sometimes there can be no time left over for others. And, and the pace of our society today can rob us of our not just our time, but our energy to even have the energy to, to reach out and try and touch the life of somebody. Plus, there's this um, self-preservation thing that we have because we know it's going to be risky if we, if we extend ourselves, we can get our heart stepped on, and so maybe we don't reach out to somebody. Maybe some of the problem today is that we live in a very mobile society. I mean, everybody's moving and, and it's hard to establish relationships and people are on the, the run all the time. Or the space age society in which we live, to where it's, it's no longer talking face to face or even phone to phone, but it's just texting uh, sentences here and there and sound bites and, uh, and emailing. You know, it's funny, as Brother Dennis and I can sit in our offices, one wall between us and email back and forth and, and the same thing with the church secretary. I mean, that's... That's the space age in which we live in, isn't it? And so we can be kind of impersonal there. But the result is, in many cases, very shallow relationships, if any. Very shallow relationships. And God really never intended it for it to be that way. Never did. God wired us for fellowship. When I was growing up, I uh, probably saw every episode there was of, of that great, profound, and scholarly deep television show known as Gilligan's Island. How many of you have seen Gilligan's Island? Changed my life. But I'll never forget one episode in particular where uh, Gilligan got offended and he caught everybody talking about him and bad-mouthing him. So remember, he went and he moved to the other side of the island. He lived in a cave and Skipper missed his little buddy and, and then uh, you know the rest of them were talking about, oh, we even missed the way he always missed, messed up. And, and so one at a time, they went and they moved into the cave with Gilligan. But you know the, the point is this, we need fellowship. And as a church, we're, may I say, a spiritual community. We need that fellowship. You know, the word together is found many times in the Bible. In fact, 480 times you find the word together in the Bible, and especially in the, the New Testament, which is somewhat of the, the church segment of the Bible, okay? And you find out that they met together, they prayed together, they were preaching together, they were teaching together, they were studying together, they, they were breaking bread together, they were just together all the time. Fellowship is involvement, and, and fellowship is caring, and there's, there's no spectatorism in the Bible, if I might coin that expression. That is totally foreign to the Scriptures. Did you know that? Just being a spectator and just watching and sitting back. It really makes for a weak church. Because Fargo Baptist Church is a place where, where people need to assimilate. And that's a word we don't use often, but to assimilate means to kind of just you know, morph in and, and to adapt and to fit in and to uh, acclimatize. And, and that's not a word we use much either, but if, if you are not used to winters, but you live here long enough, you'll acclimatize to them. You'll get used to them. You will fit in. You will merge. 
And we have some folks that have come on board, uh, even as of late, and it's been wonderful to, to watch them just kind of merge in. I think I followed Deb in uh, to the parking lot uh, earlier before the service, and I thought of uh, how she has just been taken into the assembly here and, and loved by the folks here. I see Adam back there and, and uh, Ray and Erica and, uh, and others like that. As of late, they've come on board, and, and they've just kind of been welcomed in and, and brought in, and, and that warmth has been extended, and, and some of... God's precious people are just super at that. I think of Sharon and, and Donnie and, and folks like that and just extend that warmth and, and that's what we need to be doing because people are looking for a place to belong. They want to belong someplace. And we have to ask ourselves, are we interested in being a blessing to others? Are we interested in helping others? Because if we're not, it's going to uh, retard, it's going to impede, it's going to hinder Really, the work of the Lord at the Fargo Baptist Church. That, that, that uh, independent mentality. I, I touch no one and, and no one touches me. I, I am an island. No, we need each other. You know, when uh, Jimmy Kleinsaucer, who's a North Dakota native, and, and Adrian Peters played together all those years, or, or Adrian, uh, yeah, Adrian Peterson, the, the running back, when they played together all those years, Adrian Peterson got all the, the accolades, did he not, for the Vikings? I mean, you heard about him and uh, his just monster seasons and all these yards he rushed for and so on. You didn't hear much about Jim Kleinsaucer, did you? But he was out there blocking for Adrian Peterson all those years. He was out there paving the way. And Adrian Peterson would have never gotten all those yards without a Jim Kleinsaucer. You know, the driving force of the Fargo Baptist Church is us working together and, and really being a spiritual community. And, and may I say, the goal is not so much getting, getting bigger. It sounds like that, but it's really getting deeper, deeper in our relationships. We're here to help, and no man is an island. And people have a universal craving for fellowship. We see that universal craving. Secondly, we see that united confederation. And, and I'm talking about being strong together and being in league and, and being uh, uh, federated and affiliated, that kind of thing. When the Apostle Paul was in Rome, soon to die, he was on trial. In fact, he had several trials. But he spoke of his first one in 2 Timothy 4.16, and he said, At my first answer or trial, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. In other words, God wouldn't hold that against them. But how lonely that had to be for the Apostle Paul to say, I stood there alone. You know, isolationism is, is uh, it's actually a, a kind of a creepy thing, if I might call it that. You know, if, if they want to really punish somebody in a prison, what do they do? They put them in solitary confinement, right? Because there's something creepy about being alone. Remember Howard Hughes? How many remember Howard Hughes, the, the multi-millionaire and, and a guy who was just, you know, headline news for decades and then just vanished. And, and when he finally resurfaced, I think it was about the last 15 years, they, they found out he'd been living in resorts and in Vegas and, and he got really weird. He, he grew his, this, this really big beard and long hair and his fingernails were grown way out. His toenails were, were grown way out and he basically had gone into isolation and, and wanted to be all alone. It's really different, but aloneness is abnormal. It's not God's plan, and especially within a New Testament church. We, we need to adopt each other, if I could put it that way. Look, if you would, in Acts chapter 18. You know that we're in the bodybuilding business, all right? 
And those of you who know the Bible know I'm talking about the, the body being a reference to the New Testament, the local church, okay? The head is Christ, but the body is the church. Well, we are in the body building business. We're not in the sermon business. We can lose sight of that. We can say, well, we're here to hear a sermon, okay? But we're not in the sermon business, not really. We're in the body building business. Now, here in Acts chapter 18, we have a kind of a new convert by the name of Apollos. Very zealous, but not a whole lot of knowledge. I've always said it would be great to have zeal with knowledge, but sometimes it's one or the other. By the time we get knowledge, we lose the zeal. Well, Apollos was, was new in the Lord, but he had that zeal. He's going around preaching and witnessing and, and leading people in professions of faith. And, and I think he even led some fellas, about a dozen or so, in the following chapter in, in false professions, but that's another sermon. But here in Acts chapter 18 and in verse 24, it says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. Now, Paul had just left there. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he, Apollos, mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Well, he was a dynamo for God after that. But it was Aquila and Priscilla who made an investment in him, who cared enough to reach out and touch his life. This wasn't an isolated case with these two. In fact, if you turn to Romans 16, they were husband and wife. And by the way, I think it's great when you, got a, you have a saved couple and, and this husband and wife are trying to get out there and, and, and mingle and, and, and affect others and, and influence others in a, in a great way. And we've, we've got some great couples in this church that do that. But Aquila and Priscilla were kind of the forerunners of that. And they were just known for helping people out and, and, and sticking their neck out even in the process. In fact, in Romans 16, here's Paul toward the end of his ministry. In verse 3, he said, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, same folks, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Notice, they made a difference. They cared. They reached out. They were trying to help Apollos. They were trying to help Paul. I just think they tried to help everybody they could. They, they ministered together. And by the way, they did it through the local church. I believe Aquila was a preacher. This was his wife. May I say, the, like an, a, a mighty army, we sing, moves the church of God, the New Testament church of God. Like a mighty army. Not like a lone wolf. Not like the lone ranger. But like a team. We move forward. And that, that comes as a result of us caring, I guess, reaching out. You know, we have some, some Bible college students. Have you gone out and tried to take them out to eat or adopt them somewhat as, as uh, surrogate parents to, to them? We don't want them to spend four lonely years here or two lonely years here or however long they're here. We need to reach out to them. We need to take the initiative. You know, we are in the midst of a, of a detestable, a a despicable society. We really are. I mean, it's bad. And Jesus, in the midst of that, calls us to minister, to make a difference. 
Our memory verse this last week, Christ said, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Mark 10.45 This is the age of indifference. But we are in the body building business. We're not in the sermon listening to business. In fact, those who come to just listen to the sermon oftentimes can leave and critique it more than somebody who comes and listens and goes out there and tries to apply it or tries to make a difference. It's just been that way. There's been a pattern over the years that those who come and and just listen are going to be the first ones to kind of come with that FBI spirit. You know, I'm going to find something wrong with the message or I'm going to find something wrong with the church here and, and, and leave and critique the whole thing. But if you're plugged in and if you're impacting life, somehow even the sermons sound better. Have you noticed that? If you're going and you're, you're applying, it's, it's like if you're just coming for the, the, quote, church experience to sing and read and, and uh, hear the message, it's not going to be so great. But the sermon will be even better if you really reach out and try and impact somebody when you leave. May I see that spiritual independence is not a healthy thing. It's an unhealthy thing, and an unhealthy consequence comes from isolationism. In fact, psychology today has even done studies and, and I'm quoting, they say there's no more potent killer than loneliness. You say, well, it's not a disease, it's not a physical thing. No, but they're right. There is no more potent, slowly deadly killer than loneliness. They said it's detrimental to your physical and mental health. It causes depression, it causes paranoia, and really, a, 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 it's a desperate situation, and it's growing. And the devil loves it, no doubt about it. You know, we can uh, call ourselves Christians, but it means Christ-like. And as we look at Christ, he was always reaching out, wasn't he? And never thought of himself, always thought of others. And he never lost sight of people. May we never lose sight of people. May we never have a lonely echo in this church because we're not contributing. We're really going to need to flex and, and adjust perhaps in many cases before we can go into the next phase as a church. There's that united confederation, that universal craving. Finally, let's talk about that unselfish confirmation. Let, let's talk about the reasons to do this. Let's talk about the benefits of doing this. Somebody said, and I quote, none but a mule denies others. None but a mule denies others. Look in Ecclesiastes, if you would, chapter 4. I really don't know much about mules. I, I, I really don't know anything about them. But I have heard that uh, they're pretty into themselves. None but a mule denies others. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and in verse 9, we see these familiar verses. It says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Now here's the wise man speaking, and he's doing a lot of observing, as you know, in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he's made this observation. He says, two are better than one. For they have a good reward for their labor. That's one reason. But also in verse 10, for if they fall, notice, there's one there to lift up his fellow. But he says, woe to the guy who falls alone. Have you ever done that? By the way, the devil specializes in, uh, in dividing and conquering, in isolating and, and conquering. You know, they say that a lion, if he's going to take down a zebra, he looks for the one that's kind of on the fringe there. He's not with the herd. He's not with the pack. And he'll, he'll pick that one off. 
You know, I've seen many a Christian over the years that kind of gets out of the habit of going to church, and, and, and in a sense, they're like that zebra on the fringe or off there alone. That's the one I've seen the devil pick off. And, and when they fall, they're alone, and there's none to lift them up. And the results can be tragic. Notice in verse number 12 of this passage, if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's powerful. It's strong. Look, everything is uh, compounded in a good way when it's with a team. When somebody is alone, it's amplified and embellished in a, a worse way when we're by ourselves. You ever been by yourself and you hear a bump in the night or something creepy? And it's kind of twice as scary. I'll never forget being over in, in Thailand, and, and uh, we were out in the jungle up in the Pechiboon province. And, and, I mean, we were miles from anything. And I'm in this hut with uh, Jay Chang, who's now a missionary over in Thailand. Jeff Lang, he's over in this cushy house with his family. And we're in this dump. And I'm still a little bitter about that, as you can tell. But anyway, I'm, I'm laying there in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden I hear this, this sound, this gnawing sound, this scurrying sound, scuffling sound right underneath me. There's, there's a crawl space in the house, kind of a basement actually where we were, and it was, it was big. It had to be a rat. And so I'm sitting there wide awake thinking, there's a rat in this house. Jay Chang, I look over, he's snowing and sawing logs and knows nothing about it. And so I laid there a while and I thought, well, if Brother Chang can sleep through this, I can sleep through this. Prayed a little bit, closed my eyes and fell asleep. But Brother Chang flew out the next day and I was in that house alone and the rat showed up again the next night. I wasn't quite so brave. There's just something about being alone in a house and, and something creepy's with you. I'll never forget the first night I spent in the farm we're now in. Uh, I was by myself because we were working on it. It had sat de deserted for, for years. And I think I was finishing the floors or something like that. And the family was over at the other house. And, and I worked late, so I just stayed there. And I, I slept in the middle of the night. There's something gnawing in that house. And there's just enough light coming in from the window. And I look over and I see that there's a mouse gnawing at the very bottom of the door there. And, and by the way, there's, there's gnaw marks at the bottoms of many of the doors in our house when the mice took over, but, but there's just something creepy about that when you're in a house by yourself. You know, any time we're alone, we're more vulnerable, aren't we? In fact, i got to laugh my kids when they were smaller and, and kind of even still. If, if I send them out to the barn at night, they'll take somebody with them. And, and, well, come on, you don't need anybody else. I'm just sending you out to put something in your pocket, you know. But there's just something about having somebody along, isn't there? There is that strength. And that's what the wise man of Ecclesiastes is talking about here. When we're separate, we're weak. When we're alone, we're weak. And it's such a, it's such a basic principle. And we, <laughs> whatever, we laugh at that. But really, do we take the step, spiritually speaking, to go on and try and be with somebody? When we're alone, we're more prone to deceit. Did you know that? To be deceived. We're more prone to depression. We're more prone to doubt. We're more prone to drifting when we're by ourselves. This is essential, folks. Look in Proverbs 27. It's so important that we understand this concept, and it's equally important that we make a decision, maybe a decision for, for this next century or half century or quarter century, however long you might live, to do something different about this. Notice in Proverbs 27 and in verse number 17, it says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. 
Notice the man who invests himself in his friend is going to sharpen his friend. That's exactly what Barnabas did to Saul of Tarsus. He made a difference, didn't he? That's exactly what Aquila and Priscilla did with Apollos. As iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Now, how can we do something about this? These, these associations we should be having, how can we fix this? Well, we can ask God by His grace to get, help us to get closer to somebody and then to be willing to get closer to that person. And it will disrupt our privacy, understandably. And we crave privacy, many of us, I'm sure we do. But it, it, it's going to upset the apple cart a little bit. It's going to disrupt that privacy. But you know what will happen is we're going to grow. Uh, we're going to become more tolerant of people. We're going to uh, uh, be more understanding of people. You know, church is more than just hearing a sermon and going on our way and leaving. It's, it's time we may need to refocus and get the vision back. You know, a, a, a preacher once said this, and I heard this question, it really made me think. If we were to turn in a weekly report, every week, turn in a report of our, of our ministering for that week, our Christian service, if you would, how many weeks would we turn in a blank sheet of paper? How long it, has it been going on? How long will it continue to go on? You know, it might be time to get as excited about our ministry as it is our worship. You know, we come here, we, we worship, but what about the ministry that should accommodate it? Somebody says, I, I wonder when, when pastor and the staff are going to do something about this, uh, this need. You know, the bottom line is we should say, you know, I need to see if I can fit that into my schedule. I need to see if I can find some time to do that. I wonder how I can give myself to maybe make a difference in that need. Versus, I wonder what the preacher is going to say today. I wonder what the sermon is going to be about. And we come and we just go. Somebody said, really, we're all ordained. <laughs> we are. We've been ordained to make a difference. Bottom line. To counteract isolationism. And to, to commit assimilation. In Acts 20 and in verse 35, it says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How He said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. It really is. The greatest blessings are to the givers. You know, crops without rain and crops without sunshine are going nowhere. I mean, God has set up the universe with things needing each other. And the, the most basic motto of Christ that we know of is it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's easy to miss the forest for the trees. We, we just forget this. That it's not about coming to church and just leaving. But it's taking with us what we hear and doing something with it, and even within the four walls of the church here. You know, even the staff can lose perspective of this, and I challenge the staff not to. But being one of them, I'm telling you, it's so easy to lose perspective and forget we're in the people business and get, get into the business end of it and the administrative end of it and that kind of thing and, and fail to see the big picture. We need to back up and remember it's, a, it's about people. People, people, people. God help us. We've tried for 25 years to make people the main thing. Now, I know we've gotten off course at times. You can have a lot of numbers. You can make a lot of noise and still be very weak. We don't want to be a weak church. And that's why we're talking about these issues here. We need healthy relationships. We need uh, authentic relationships if we're really going to, to grow deeper and, and stronger in our church and develop a strong sense of family, if I could put it that way, and, and church family. You know, what's happening right now? This, this is great. We're here. We've, we've, we've been singing. We've been reading and, and so on. 
But this is not what a church is all about. This is part of what a church is about. Yeah, reading and singing and preaching and so on. But that's not primarily why we're here. The Bible tells us why we're here in Ephesians 4.11. It says, And He, God, gave pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying the body of Christ. The, the purpose of the preaching and the teaching and so on, the pastor that, that teaches and all, is for the completing of the saints, the perfecting of the saints. Why? For the work of the ministry. And then notice that last part, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Are we edifying the body of Christ? That's why we exist. We, we don't come to sit and to soak and, and eventually just sour. In 25 years, I've seen a number of Christians sit until they soak and then they sour. And it can happen to anybody. That's why it's so important we put this to practice. We need to be, I guess, wings to somebody else. That's what Barnabas was to Saul, wasn't he? And boy, Saul flew from that point on, and, and I'm sure that had to thrill Barnabas. And what a thrill it is when we invest in somebody's life, and then we see them grounded and, and go forward for God and make a, a difference in the kingdom of God and the populating of heaven. It can make such a difference. But it won't happen again until we reach out and touch someone. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.